I'm Father Paul Donison, and this is Praying with the Saints. Each episode will contain a shortened evening prayer service and also an opportunity for me to share a story from the life of a saint, an ordinary Christian like you and me who sought to follow Jesus in their generation. We're using the Book of Common Prayer 2019, and you can download the liturgy sheet off our website. And if you have a BCP 2019, you can turn to page 41, where evening prayer begins. But some of you will already have these words memorized. And for others, perhaps you'll simply want to listen and have these words prayed over you tonight. And we're encouraging you to share it with others. Tonight, we hear the story of St. Peter and St. Paul, who share a feast day together tonight. Let us quiet our hearts before God. Jesus spoke to them, saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Let us humbly confess our sins to Almighty God. Almighty and most merciful Father, we have erred and strayed from your ways like lost sheep. We have followed too much the devices and desires of our own hearts. We have offended against your holy laws. We have left undone those things which we ought to have done, and we have done those things which we ought not to have done, and apart from your grace there is no health in us. O Lord, have mercy upon us. Spare all those who confess their faults. Restore all those who are penitent according to your promises declared to all people in Christ Jesus our Lord. And grant, O most merciful Father, for his sake, that we may now live a godly, righteous, and sober life to the glory of your holy name. Amen. Hear these words of absolution. The Almighty and merciful Lord grant you absolution and remission of all your sins, true repentance, amendment of life, and the grace and consolation of his Holy Spirit. Amen. O Lord, open our lips, and our mouth shall proclaim your praise. O God, make speed to save us. O Lord, make haste to help us. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. Praise the Lord. The Lord's name be praised. Our psalm this evening is Psalm 145, on page 461 of the Book of Common Prayer. I will magnify you, O God, my King, and I will praise your name forever and ever. Every day will I give thanks to you and praise your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord and most worthy to be praised. There is no end of his greatness. One generation shall praise your works to another and shall declare your power. As for me, I will be talking of the glorious splendor of your majesty and of all your wondrous works. They shall speak of the might of your marvelous acts, and I will also tell of your greatness. The remembrance of your abundant goodness they shall proclaim, and they shall sing of your righteousness. The Lord is gracious and merciful, long-suffering and of great kindness, The Lord is loving to everyone, and His mercy is over all His works. All your works praise you, O Lord, and your faithful servants give thanks to you. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, 
as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. Tonight I want to tell you the story about two men, Peter and Paul. And what's unique about these two pillars of the church is in the calendar, each of them get two dates. They each get a date on their own, and then they get this shared feast day. You see, on January 18th, we have the confession of Peter, where he says in Matthew 16, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And on January 25th, we get the conversion of Paul, where he, on the road to Damascus, meets Jesus resurrected and is converted and transformed. And then you get this united feast today, which is effectively the feast that then celebrates their martyrdom because they shared the same year of martyrdom according to tradition. In AD 64, both pillars of the church, Peter and Paul, were put to death under Rome. Paul, because he was a Roman citizen, had the right of a more humane uh, death in beheading, and Peter was crucified upside down on a cross. In Rome today, this is a public civic holiday, the Feast of St. Peter and St. Paul. What was interesting about Peter and Paul is that there was conflict between them. Acts tries to give us a pretty positive picture of the two, both zealous for the gospel. But in Galatians, we get Paul's take on the hard relationship when he writes this, but when Cephas, Peter, came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he was eaten with the Gentiles. But when they came, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him, so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. When I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas before them all, If you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? And yet we also see Peter respond back to Paul in his own writing, where in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 15, hear this, it sounds like a compliment, but it's kind of a criticism about Paul. He says, And count the patience of our Lord is salvation, just as our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you according to the wisdom given to him, as he does in all his letters when he speaks in them of these matters. There are some things in them that are hard to understand, which the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction as they do the other scriptures. You, therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, take care that you are not carried away with the error of lawless people and lose your own stability. Both are criticizing each other in their own writings. Peter effectively saying, Paul writes some weird stuff. Be careful. You don't get carried away with it. It's it. It's definitely a criticism. And I love that Ronald Knox, in his sermon on the Feast of St. Peter and St. Paul, talks about how these two pillars of the church represent two aspects or tendencies that live within the church today. 
He writes this, he says, one is the tendency to strike out on new lines, try new experiments, assert wherever it may be lawfully asserted the principle of freedom. This is Paul. The other is a jealous regard for tradition, for established precedent, a reluctance to be stampeded by the fashion of the moment, to barter away for some momentary advantage, a long inheritance of accumulated wisdom. That's Peter. And perhaps by sharing a feast's day, they're able to hold these truths together for us. Because though we have living within the church, both Pauline and Petrine tendencies, the Pauline tendencies to want to strike out in bold new ways, not so concerned about tradition and who we upset, but then also Petrine tendencies that seek to preserve the unity of the ancient church and our practices and to not move so fast that you end up sinking the vessel for the sake of turning it. I like at the end of the sermon how Ronald Knox says this, If they disagreed once, Peter and Paul, it was long ago. They have but one voice now, and it bids us go forward. Though they were in disagreement at times in their life, now in their death, glorified before God, they are united in their vision. And it's a good word for all of us, I think, when we consider those who we would consider to be theological opponents or those who we agree to disagree with in our lives, those who we just never quite can work through those disagreements of opinions, and to say that though we are divided now in opinion, that if we are in Christ together, one day we will be unified. We'll see it all. We'll understand the full truth. What's interesting about this feast day is that the feast day of St. Peter and St. Paul is connected with my church back in Ottawa that I served, St. Peter and St. Paul's Anglican Church, Ottawa. What's interesting, though, is that though the church is now named after St. Peter and St. Paul and uses this feast day as its patronal feast, it wasn't always called that. It used to be called St. George's. In 1885, when the church was planted in Ottawa, uh, it was named St. George's, again, the patron saint of England, and brought with it all that British culture and the rest that was happening there in Canada and the early days of British North America. But in 2007, St. George's voted to leave the equivalent of the Episcopal Church in Canada, which is called the Anglican Church of Canada, to join the Anglican Church in North America that Christ Church is a part of as well. That around the same time that Christchurch was leaving the Episcopal Church, St. George's was voting to leave the Canadian version of that church and to do so for the sake of the gospel, to believe that the gospel is unchanging in every generation, though the Episcopal Church and the Anglican Church of Canada were baptizing culture and transforming doctrine and the rest. And so they voted to leave. I arrived at St. George's just a few months after the vote, I was in the process of being deposed out of my own parish in a different place in the city, uh, again, for the same reasons that I was standing for the gospel. And so I arrived as the newly minted associate rector at St. George's, and what immediately followed was a lawsuit. We were sued by the Anglican Church in Ottawa, the equivalent of the Episcopal Church there, 
And they were suing us for both our property and for our assets. And what followed was a lengthy process over the next two years of, of lawsuit process. We never actually got to court, praise be to Jesus, because we were able to have a mediator come in. Most of the Episcopal churches that left, like us, lost their property and assets. But we, through mediation, were actually able to come to an agreement with our former diocese. And we were able to retain the building. Effectively, the diocese got the money and the parish got to keep the building. Interestingly, same as Christchurch, that we were able uniquely to retain our campus property here through all of that. But immediately, one of the questions that came up was a name change, because though our former diocese had relinquished to us the deed of property, they would not relinquish the name. It was a sticky point. They would not let us keep the name St. George's. It was a way of almost sort of trying to undercut our legitimacy, saying, well, you can keep the building, but you can't claim to be the same congregation. Of course, we were the same congregation. But we recognized that we weren't willing to lose an entire property settlement over a name. And so we said, fine, we'll let go of the St. George's name. And we had literally two days to file with the government because of charity law, a new name. And so we had to send it a, an email to the entire parish. It was midweek. We couldn't even get together on a Sunday and had to say, okay, everybody write in your favorite names. What would you like the church name? We had everything come in. I remember seeing the spreadsheet. I'm sure I still have it. You know, and we, we tabulated all the different requests and we had everything from, you know, Dripping Springs of Grace Anglican Church and, you know, Church of, of Thessalonica. And I was like, this isn't Thessalonica or um, the Church of, of Theatira, like the Book of Revelation churches or the Church of Ephesus. I mean, all these different names, strange as they were. Um, we got a lot of Timothys. We got a lot of Johns. Um, but... We got a ton of Peters and a ton of Pauls, and they were almost evenly linked um, as far as number of tabulations. And so we said, well, you know, what are we going to do here? And the idea was then, well, if Peter and Paul both individually got the most votes, what if we put those names together? Then we would have an overwhelming majority of the parish, in fact, being happy with at least one of those two names. And so our vestry together made the decision that we would, based on all the input, call ourselves St. Peter and St. Paul, this United Feast Date. A couple of years later, we ended up acting out this transition moment at our 130th anniversary, where several of us got up and one person played George, I think it was me, I played George, and then a couple other actors played Peter and Paul. And the whole story was basically this conversation that took place in heaven where George was being informed by Peter and Paul that unfortunately you've lost a church. They're not named after you. They're now named over us. And he's like, goodness, don't you have enough churches named after the two of you and the rest? And it was a big joke. And it was a kind of a cathartic moment for the church to recognize that effectively what had happened in this transition is we had exchanged one historically ambiguous saint for two pillars of the church because no one knows much about George. George the Dragon Slayer, it's almost like Arthur in his Knights of the Round Table. It's, it's, it's something of legend. Um, and this ambiguous historical saint, we were then able to exchange for two central pillars of the church. 
And it kind of represented what had happened in the life of our church, that through this transition, we were in fact being strengthened in our witness and strengthened in our gospel. So it made sense that we moved from the more fairy tale land of the saints like George and moved instead to the very biblical, stable pillars of Peter and Paul. So that's a fun story about how we named it St. Peter and St. Paul's Anglican Church, Ottawa. This is the story of Peter and Paul, the story of ordinary saints God empowered to impact their generation with the gospel. May their stories inspire you and remind you that God is still in the business of empowering ordinary saints today. Let's confess what we believe in the words of the Apostles' Creed, saying together, I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord. He was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day he rose again. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Lord, have mercy upon us. Christ, have mercy upon us. Lord, have mercy upon us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. O Lord, show your mercy upon us, and grant us your salvation. O Lord, guide those who govern us, and lead us in the way of justice and truth. Clothe your ministers with righteousness, and let your people sing with joy. O Lord, save your people, and bless your inheritance. Give peace in our time, O Lord, and defend us by your mighty power. Let not the needy, O Lord, be forgotten, nor the hope of the poor be taken away. Create in us clean hearts, O God, and take not your Holy Spirit from us. A Colic for Peace O God, the source of all holy desires, all good counsels, and all just works, give to your servants that peace which the world cannot give, that our hearts may be set to obey your commandments and that we, being defended from the fear of our enemies, may pass our time in rest and quietness through the merits of Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen. A collect for aid against perils. Lighten our darkness, we beseech you, O Lord, and by your great mercy defend us from all perils and dangers of this night. For the love of your only Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. A night prayer. 
Keep watch, dear Lord, with those who work or watch or weep this night, and give your angels charge over those who sleep. Tend the sick, Lord Christ. Give rest to the weary. Bless the dying. Soothe the suffering. Pity the afflicted. Shield the joyous. And all for your love's sake. Amen. I want to conclude tonight with the collect for this feast day. Almighty God, whose blessed apostles Peter and Paul glorified you by their martyrdom, granted your church instructed by their teaching and example and knit together in unity by your spirit may ever stand firm on the foundation, which is Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Let us bless the Lord. Thanks be to God. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all evermore. Amen. This concludes this evening's podcast, and I'm glad you joined us for Praying with the Saints. If this prayer podcast has blessed you, we encourage you to subscribe at ChristChurchPlano.org, and we encourage you to share this with your friends. I'm Father Paul Donison, and I'm looking forward to praying with you next time. Until then, I pray that you would have a peaceful night and a perfect rest.